Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. And a pleasant afternoon to everybody listening to the Water Zone Show. Uh, I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davey, and uh, we're broadcasting here, at least I am, out of the monsoon state capital of Arizona, and Chris Davey is in California. Mr. Davey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. Thank you very much, Rob. I got to tell you, this seems to be the summer of the never-ending monsoon or the forever monsoon. Is it not? It's even you're even sending it our way on numerous occasions. Yeah, it's uh, it rained all week except for last night, but there was tremendous lightning, like every five seconds. No thunder. Uh, but tonight they said there's going to be thunderstorms, and I can see some dark clouds following up, and we'll see what happens. But uh, I, we haven't got hit. I mean, we had that one that hit last week that was tore up 300 trees and 70-mile-an-hour winds, did, did quite a bit of damage in the neighborhood. But um, I, I look on the news, and farther east and north from here, uh, towards Phoenix and up towards Flagstaff, they got flooding and hail and all kinds of stuff. So we've yeah. been lucky. We've been lucky here for that. Yeah. So. So, well, uh, as you know, I've got a family member that lives there in the in the Phoenix metro uh, area, and yes. we hear the same from them. What happens to the water? Where does it go? Does it just su- supplement the groundwater basins? Where, I mean, you know, you've got very porous soil there. Yep, yep, it, that, that happens quite quite often here with that. I mean, even even with a even with the gutters that I have, and it piles up, you know, pretty high on the sides of the house. Within twenty minutes after it stops, it's all gone. So it gets it gets quickly absorbed into the ground. So we must have a pretty nice aquifer growing going under there. But we should check in on uh, what's happening up in uh, mid California with the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin, who had a wonderful vacation day last week, and I hope she took advantage and had a great time. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hi, Chris. Good evening, everyone. Oh, yeah, I had a great time. It was my I had a big vacation week last week because my husband was gone. He went traveling. <laughs> so I got to live for like 10 days in Chris's world, oh. you know, where where I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, watch all the dancing shows on TV and America's <laughs> Got Talent. Nobody giving me any crap. Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my wife, my wife, my wife likes when I leave. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, raining down there. Monsoon, you know, that's important part of Arizona's water supply, you know. Considering they're looking at cutting 20% to Arizona off Colorado River starting in January, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, I mean, just the whole thing that went down on the Colorado River last week, I mean, I, I have to tell you, what was it back in June? And they had that hearing in Washington D.C. And the commissioner of reclamation says you you all got to cut two to four million acre feet of use out of the Colorado River, and you got to do it by August 16th. And uh, and so like the states tried to get together, but they really couldn't come up with much of much of anything really, and so the deadline rolls around and uh you know it was like reclamation kind of blinked i mean what they did is they enforced the you know the the 
priority system on the river. Uh, and <laughs> and even so, it's not enough. It's not enough that has to be cut. I mean, this is kind of the thing that I've been talking about for a while, where we're really starting to run up against these, uh, you know, 19th century, 20th century water laws that kind of govern things that the, you know, the 1890s and the 1900s. Um, and it, we're just going to have, it's going to be difficult to see what happens. I, I mean, I just don't know how this is going to play off. Uh, about a fifth of the flow of the Colorado River, as defined in the Colorado River Compact, goes to the Imperial Valley. And they have the most senior water rights on the river. They were uh, irrigating the Imperial Valley in the late 1800s. Like, I think they filed their first claim on the river, like, in 1890, uh, right around there. And so, you know, first in time, first in right, they managed to build out the, the Imperial Valley and uh, and they got some amazing water rights, so one-fifth of the flow uh, and, and the most senior rights on the river. But, you know, they've been, uh, I don't think they've been uh, terribly willing to give up a lot of that water. Uh and I think it's kind of a problem when you're looking at the numbers, you know, cut two to four million acre feet out of the river. I don't see how the Imperial Valley, with its one-fifth of the river senior water rights, is not part of that equation in a major way. Um, so, you know, a lot of times when they're talking about California, they're really talking about, um, you know, California on the Colorado River. They're really talking about uh, the Imperial Valley mostly. Now, uh, Metropolitan has some water rights on the river. They're uh, much, much more junior than the Imperial Valleys. So, um, you know, and Metropolitan is actually really right up there at the table trying to make deals, doing things like, leaving water behind in Lake Mead and and entering into projects with different with different agencies from different things that can help the situation out. You know, so Metropolitan has actually been doing a pretty good job. But it's very hard for all these states, seven states and, and Mexico, uh, to come together and figure out a way to share the pain. Um, and it's going to be very painful. Yeah. It reminds me of what I, a friend of mine, a legislator, Bill Eisenberg, he used to be on the Delta Stewardship Council, and he was an assemblyman and mayor of Sacramento, so he had an active political career. And he was also part of the uh, deal that was going on with Mono Lake in, I think, the 70s, the 80s. can't remember exactly when it was. So he was down talking to um, LADWP because they wanted LADWP to stop taking so much water from Mono Lake. And in their discussions, the guy told him there, um, look, I can't give you the water. You need to take it from me, essentially. So, um, you know, he said that in confidence. So, it, And I think that's kind of what we're having here. I think it's very hard for some of these, um, you know, 
organizations and agencies on the river to actually be seen as giving up the water for when their constituents want them to hold on to the water. So I think we're going to need reclamation to figure this out. Um, Does this have anything to do? Chris, does this have anything to do with the repair that uh, that's supposedly going to be made at the end of this month or in September to um, to repair the California aqueduct and where Southern California has been asked to not water at all for two weeks, first two weeks of September? Oh, oh, now that's a little bit of a different thing. Um, but yeah, there is a. Um, yeah, there's some repairs they had to do. Um, and I actually, I think there's a number of things that they're doing to upgrade the Colorado River Aqueduct. And one of them is that they have, there is a leak or something in a tunnel um, and they have to shut down the tunnel and they have to, uh, you know, repair it. And they need to do this because we can't afford to waste the water. But yeah, it's like 15 days for, um those folks not to be watering their grass. So, you know, it's, 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 this is, it's going to be really, really tough for people, I think. And we're going to see this as we go forward. You know, people saying, well, if I don't water my lawn, then it will die. But uh, when this pipe is shut down and the water that you have is what you have in your local small reservoirs and tanks, um, if you run it out, you know, you're, you're, it, it's going to be ugly. Um, I mean, this is what we see, this part of the story that we, you know, you hear now over in, you know, Calabasas with these celebrities that don't want to follow these strict uh, water restrictions. So they've, they've been getting fined and they're going to get these water restrictors now going to go be placed on their, um, you know, on their entrance into the home. So they're not going to be able to use that much because um, I, I think it's really hard for these people to understand. But the way that system is set up, you know, there's very little water coming down that side of the system. And if they run it out, um, there's no way to get more water over there to them um you know it's the way the system Hmm? well well, aside from the uh big movie stars and sports people who live in calabasas you have a new budding uh attorney who lives there now (laughs) Kim, kim kardashian got a higher score on her legal test than hillary clinton Oh no! Don't tell me we're, we're a Kadar- Kardashian is going to be a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, no. she passed the test. It was announced that yesterday that she scored higher than Hillary did on hers, which is really well, interesting. Well, hey, I give somebody well, credit for, for had nothing to do with anything with college and law and anything else, and give that person good, better, and different, whatever we think. I mean, she did go to school; she's doing well. Yeah. What can I say? I mean, I give cre- I give credit because that's not a simple subject. <laughs> Yeah, but anyways, nonetheless, she can try suing, but that isn't going to help. No, Uh, no, no, no. It's it's going to be tough a tough time uh, in you know in places in Southern California and elsewhere in the state that are just not going to have any water. 
and we're going to cross our fingers and, you know, hope that we get some precipitation or, you know, a nice healthy amount in this next winter. But we'll see. Well, you oh. know, Chris, Chris, you know, Chris is up in the sustainable Claremont area and they're, they're you know, they, they, they always promote themselves as a big sustainable city and stuff. Chris, are there any new regulations that they're talking about or implemented recently up by where you live? We continue to work under a, um, a one day a week watering restriction, outdoor watering restriction, um, using uh, broadcast or overhead um, irrigation systems. However, you can water anytime uh, you want if it's by hand. Uh, with a hose or using a drip watering system. However, I'll, I'll add this to it because it's an interesting um, side note to everything. Uh, you know, just, just looking at several blogs and reading things on um, other websites, social media, there is a large concern looming and starting to get more and more consideration and, and discussion and talk relative to uh, the number of dying trees in the city trees that we've seen suffering under these drought conditions, they're not getting watered as they would if people were irrigating their lawns or their um, turf or uh, even their native plants uh, regularly. And it is visible throughout the city. I can see it as a, as a city resident. Um, and it's, concern, it's concerning, getting a lot of press as well. Well, it should be. You don't want to be losing trees. Um, you know, people just need to to find a way to water their those trees. And there's a lot of ideas uh, online that you ways you can do this and comply with water restrictions. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to lose your trees. They add they add so much to our lives, and they shade your house, and you know as well. So. Yeah, and those those trees are are not easy to replace. Not only are they not easy to replace, they take literally decades to to grow to their former, uh, yeah, uh, you know, growth to, to mature to mature trees. Decades. Yeah, yeah, and you know, unfortunately, it once the tree is starting to show the signs of stress, if it it doesn't take long for that tree to be too far gone to rescue even if you do right. start putting water on it. So you really don't, you know, you really want to water these trees. Yeah. When we moved into this house, we had to have one of a really nice big tree that we had over the side of the driveway. It had to be removed because uh, um, <laughs> the people who lived here before didn't really water much. And we almost lost some of the trees in the back. I mean, we got here and we started given them water and you know we had the tree guy come out and said we just barely caught them but we had to we had one that had to come down so right with yeah. the watering restrictions we've seen now chris uh i mean the motto here in the city i live in is is uh golden is the new green right because watering one day a week will not maintain turf under any condition you can water that whole you know, eight hours that you're that you're allowed to during that one day a week, it still will not save your lawn. Um, and we have gotten, I don't know, I can't I can't tell you, uh, uh, half a dozen, maybe ten flyers in our mailbox or or rubber banded to our door. Um, hey, we'll paint your lawn green for you. Last three or four <laughs> months, right? Sign up now. Yeah, I don't know. 
uh, you know, it's it's sad to, to have to see you know these lawns and landscapes go, but uh, you know it's it's really an issue here this year, folks. I mean, this drought thing is is for real and it's bad. Yeah. Um, and you know, we unfortunately we're going to have to make sacrifices. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't just affect us. I mean, the Colorado River is drying up uh, uh, as well. Central and Northern California, which usually are behind the curve when it comes to drought conditions, they're in bad shape uh, uh, as well, Chris, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And in terms of Southern California, they've always felt that they had a little bit of uh, diversity there in water sources that generally when it was bad on the Colorado River, it wasn't bad on the state water project, you know, Northern California system. But this is, you know, these past years, it's just been very serious, uh, you know, deep, deep drought, uh, literally mm -hmm. unprecedented conditions. Yeah. Do you see the Fed stepping in at, at, at all, Chris, or, I mean, foreseeably, even in the future? Well, I, I think the feds are going to have to step in on the Colorado River uh, because I just don't think it's going to be possible for them to make those kind of cuts. Um, if, if people were willing to do it, then it would have been done, I think. Um, and, and now I think reclamation has a sort of a credibility issue because mm -hmm. it was a lot of people feel like they blinked. They, you know rattled the cage and said, you better do something or we're going to do something. And, yeah, and, yeah. uh, and they didn't. So, you know, I don't know how seriously people are going to take them, but I, I think, yeah, they're going to have to do something. Uh, yeah. And, and it's just, it's bad in so many places. I mean, up North on the Klamath river, um, very dry conditions, and uh, Reclamation has an irrigation project up there, and they told the farmers to shut off the water. Um, they couldn't irrigate anymore. Uh, they needed the rest of the water for the endangered salmon and other species. And they uh, they defied the, the order, and they were irrigating. But you, you probably, you know, remember there's this little thing that got passed recently in Washington, D.C., that has a whole bunch of money, you know, uh, to help them out. And so they said, well, okay, you're not going to get this, you know, $60 million of funding that we have here for you. And so now they're complying. <laughs> oh, take the money away. Like, oh, okay, okay, we'll comply. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, on one of the tributaries on the Shasta River, uh, those irrigators have been irrigating, and that's not uh, a Bureau of Reclamation project. That's the state water board. They were told to not uh, to not take water. So the state water board is actually starting an enforcement proceeding uh, against them. It's the first that I've seen uh, since this drought in I don't even think they had they had any enforcement actions last year. So I think this is and actually this is a bit of a new thing for uh the state water board uh because when they had the drought the 2014-2015 and they tried to curtail 
some of these very senior water rights. Uh, they they went to court over it, and the court said, no, you can't do it that way. So they this time around, they what they did is they created regulations. And so if you violate a regulation, they can take action, and it's much quicker, actually. And so we'll see. I'm sure that this will be litigated as well. <laughs> we'll see what the courts say if the state oh, water yeah. board can have, do this, you know. But have, uh, have you seen have you seen any additional or have you seen efforts ramp up at all on from the, at the state level, uh, state water board? Um, maybe looking at uh, I know that they're working on several recycled water projects and stuff like that. See, have you seen any of that kind of you know get a little more force or oomph behind it, if you will? Well, they've been working on implementing recycled water projects, and that's actually where, you know, for many years, that's where people see the next source of, you know, additional water. So there have been many, many projects in the works. Um, part of the problem that these projects are having, which is really no surprise, you've heard it before, they're having supply chain issues. and. And so some of them haven't been able to be completed and get online yet. But there's a lot of those around, especially in Southern California. They're big on implementing those things. And they're working on them in other areas, too. Um, you know, the one thing this time around that we didn't have last, you know, during the last big drought in 2014, 2015, is um, the state is much better at uh rolling out money funding to help these communities and so they're you know they're soliciting uh, proposals and and granting uh funds for people to do a recycled water project or other things you know that can help drought proof their system fix leaks you know fix distribution systems and stuff so especially to the smaller water systems, which are usually having problems with funding and other things. So um, there's been a lot of money going out the door, especially through the Department of Water Resources. Um, and we just haven't really heard um, the stories that we heard before. There, there are, you know, like in 2014, 2015, Porterville was like the, the poster child for drought. But we really haven't had a poster child here uh, this time around. Uh, they've been pretty good, I think, about getting water out to these people when when it runs dry. Um, there have been some places in the you know San Joaquin Valley, some towns that have had water going out, and that's a problem. But you know they're they're working on it, and you know people. And, you know, people are there and, and getting solutions so these people aren't out of water for, you know, months or long periods of time. You know, they bring in water tanks. They have right. ways to, to kind of do that. So, Chris, with, all, with, all, with all the issues with water, in, in the state, you know, we're talking California right now, is there, I, I have never found someone that could give me a list of all the issues that there are talking about infrastructure, blue-green algae, contaminated water, you know, all, all the things that you talk about, and I mean, other things you talk about. How, how can the general public get a good picture of, of all the issues that have to be taken care of in water? Who ha Does somebody have a list in the state 
Well, yeah. One. Yeah, they're, they're I think I think you would find that in uh, what what they call the water resilience portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's kind of a dream list of everything. If we could do everything about everything, you know, what what would we do? And, and there's a definitely a lot of ideas and a lot of strategies in there. And I think the Newsom administration has been uh, working hard on that. Uh, they've they've uh, have a number of initiatives that are gone on looking into things. Um, then they have programs to help the farmers with you know fallowed farmland in the San Joaquin Valley. Um, you know, I mean, th- there are things out there that's doing. So yeah, you'd find that in the water resilience portfolio. And who who, who prioritizes that? Um, that's <laughs> what they think has to be done. Like I said, I always look at it, but you top, you take the top three or top five items that are the most important, crucial things. And just work on those until you knock it off, and then the others can float up to the top. But that's just me. That's what I would do. But you yeah, know, I, I, and I think water is is something that touches so many people in dramatic ways. I mean, I who who would you say has got to wait for their water problem to get fixed? You know, you want to say the disadvantaged communities, the fish in the rivers. Uh, yeah, you know. But somebody, but somebody needs to do that, and we're, you know, one of our guests that were featured guests is coming on after you, uh, is a, a very good economist. And we're going to ask some questions and how how does how does the water issues affect the economy and you know because it touches on everything of our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, I I don't I I think that the Newsom administration is trying to address all these things. Yeah, there's a lot, but I'm not sure that you could really say, well, we're going to go work on these problems. Um, you know, and then we'll come to your problem. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think we can really do that in government on something as important with water. And the thing is, too, when it comes to water, is you fix the problem, or you think you do, but as you get into the problem, you generally open up more problems, and yeah. it becomes bigger and bigger. And you may never get back to those other problems if your goal is to solve, you know. One problem, so, or but sometimes, you know. but sometimes if you if they overextend themselves, doing tons of projects, it takes a whole lot longer to get something completed. But but again, I don't I don't do that for a living to to manage what project you're going to do first. But that's an interesting discussion we should have with somebody uh, in government to, to learn more about that. I, I've always wondered, you know, what do they do? I, I, we as as you know, we played a uh, we did a thing with the city of Jackson, Mississippi. And it was it was a tearjerker listening to these these house people, these housewives saying they only get water once or twice a week and it drips out and it's dirty and they got to boil it and, and they have to save some of the water when they can get it so they can take baths or wash the dishes. That's scary in 2022, you know. But, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that yeah, one man. that one that one really struck me hard. I mean, I, I always had tears listening to that because I I can't believe in in the world that we live in or the, the country that we live in that. There are places that are so horrid and, and can't get good water. So, anywho. Yeah, and a lot of them are here in California, unfortunately. Yes, they, so. yes, they are. So true, well, Chris, Chris, thank you very much. I'm glad, I'm glad you had a good uh, week last week, having that day off, and uh, the 10 days, as you put it. Um, and, uh, you know, we got to go to our commercial break. But just for our listeners, if you really want to get the skivvy on uh, California water issues, the best place is, uh, to go to Maven's Notebook. It's mavensnotebook.com. 
become a subscriber, become a sponsor. It's a great way Chris and I, uh, Chris Avia and I get that every morning delivered on our PC and uh, we get the most updated news. And then we bring her on uh, the maven of water to tell us the real inside facts about it. So we do appreciate that and all the things that you do, Chris. So thank you very much. And we'll, we're going to talk to you next week. All right. Good evening, everyone. Have a great week, Chris. Uh, we're going to take a little break and uh, for commercials, and then we'll be right back with our featured guests. And stick around. It'll be a great conversation with a great person. So um, sit by your radio. We'll be right back. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Oh, well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes. A better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. Eco-Series products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. Miss your favorite show? Download the podcast at kcaaradio.com. All right, uh, welcome back to the second half of The Water Zone with uh, Chris and Rob. I hope everybody's having a great afternoon. Uh, our featured guest today is a very interesting person, very smart person. Uh, his name is Adrian Moore, actually Dr. Adrian Moore. He's Vice President of Policy at Reason Foundation, where he works on a wide range of policy issues. Uh, 
Adrian has testified in Congress, pretty good deal, a number of times and has served on commissions at the federal, state, and local level. He's also co-authored three books on transportation, as well as dozens of academic journal articles and policy reports on various policy issues, including several on water resource issues, which is important to, to our show. Uh, prior to joining Reason, uh, Moore served uh, 10 years in the Army, and so thank him for his service. I appreciate that. And, and, uh, and he was on active duty in the reserves. He earned his Ph.D. in economics from the University of California at Irvine, a master's in economics from the University of California at Irvine, and a master's in history from California State University, Chico. So, Dr. Moore, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate it. Um, I know you were listening in on some of the conversation we had with uh, Chris Austin. And, you know, water water is an important thing for our lives so we survive. But it also plays a big part on economics. And it affects, you know, what's going to happen in, in, uh, in providing water for agriculture, for medicine, for manufacturing. Aside from just for us to drink and clean and go swimming and everything. How do you see it from an economic point? What What is this? This whole thing with water shortage is going to do to the United States and to California. How is it going to turn into something worse than what we see today? Or will it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, water is a, a sort of a fundamental resource. So, you know, you could draw a very complicated diagram or flow chart of all the ways in which a drought as severe as what the West is experiencing uh, will affect the economy. I mean, there's super obvious stuff, I think, like agriculture. I think everybody knows how high a percentage of uh, the produce that's uh, grown uh, and consumed in the United States comes from California's, uh, basically the Central Valley and the Imperial Valley primarily. Um, and, you know, all you have to do is whittle that back 10% due to irrigation problems, and you have another force adding to inflation, right? And inflation affects everybody in the country. Um, you know, so it drives up prices even of people who maybe don't rely on that source of, of produce. Then, you know, California's economy is such a big part of the national economy and of our national GDP. And, the you know, the water resource problems are affecting Tourism, which is a huge part of that economy, which, you know, reverberates again throughout the, the whole U.S. economy. Um, I think it's affecting in, in a lot of ways, like, uh, you know, even uh, things that people don't think of, like where businesses choose to locate. You know, we, we forget that as technology has improved and especially you know, post-pandemic with the changes in working habits and 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 more companies becoming uh, comfortable with remote workers and everything, that's made companies more mobile. And when they choose where to locate, they want to go where people actually want to live and work. And there's a lot of quality of life factors that, that flow into that, as well as sort of business decisions. But a key business decision is, how can I get the labor that I need? And, you know, there's, if you've got water problems that have gone on for years that have diminished the quality of life in in communities, if you've got uh, you know uh, uh, combine that with the fires exacerbated by the drought, and it's 
not hard to see that there's a lot of parts of California that would have a pretty hard time luring a company to move in <laughs> right now when they're saying, well, you know, maybe uh, maybe we'll wait a few years and, and revisit this question. So, uh, you know, sort of from soup to nuts, water really permeates the economy. It is a broad subject for sure. This is Chris Adrian. I'd like to welcome you to the water zone as well. And by the way, thank you for your service uh, from my perspective thank as you. well. Uh, you're welcome, Chris. Uh, I mean, Rob, you and I had a little conversation before uh, before this. And, and so, Adrian, I'm going to ask you a question because you got a broad palette here, buddy. You've done a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. did, did this, did, did, you know, when you, when you were a, you know, 14, 15 year old kid, did you know this is what you wanted to do? I mean, everybody's got like an interesting story of how they, how they got to doing what they're doing today. You know, what's, um, do you, you know, was this a foregone conclusion for you, Adrian, or, or did you kind of fall into this? No, not even remotely. It's, it, it's, there's a lot of serendipity in how I, I wound up being like uh, an economist at a at a public policy think tank. I, I when I was you know a teenager, I wanted to go in the military. That had been my plan, you know, pretty much all growing up. And I and I wasn't in a big rush. I was like, I can I have the time uh, and energy to go to college. You know, if I go locally, I can work my way through college. And uh, so I'm like, what the heck? I I love history, so I'm going to study history. Uh, before I go in the army, and then I liked it so much, I decided to go ahead and get a master's in it. And uh, I grew up up in Reading, uh, and so um, uh, uh, you know, Cal State Chico was, you know, a, a, a close by a daily commute for me to get my master's. Then I went in the army, and uh, I'm a big reader; I read all the time. And while I was in the army for all those years, I happened to read a lot of books about economics. So when I got out of the army, I said, well, you know, I'm not really going to, now I'm out of the army. What I can't really, I couldn't see a career for myself with a, with a history degree. So I said, I need to go back to school and, and get something that I can build a career off of. And I said, yeah, this economics stuff's pretty interesting. So that's what I did. Went back to college, got my PhD in economics, and then, uh, you know, decided that the, the policy work and, and kind of the think tank world was exactly what I wanted to do. And it's, been great ever since. You know, a lot, I mean, that's a good story and, and not, not uh, too off the mark from a lot of people, including Rob and I. We got our own similar stories like that. But <clears throat> just tagging and, and looking at the um, at the listener uh, post on here, a couple of people said, um, you know, after the introduction, boy, how did this guy get into this uh, line of work? So I, I, I appreciate you sharing, <laughs> sharing that with us. That kind of gives us uh, gives us a little um, insight. With your line of work, right? I mean, I've I've seen the broader bio for you more than what what Rob um, uh, said. But do you do you focus on anything particularly, like you know, for instance, streamlining uh, you know all these issues and and the way the government handles them and where the public funding comes from and that sort of stuff? Do you have a is there a focus that you have particularly, or or do you just prefer to keep a broader palette like this? I, I've tended to prefer so I've I found an interesting way to kind of do both, <laughs> which uh, you know uh, sounds like evading, but uh, I realized pretty quick that there's two approaches to being to working in sort of public policy areas. One is to pick 
an issue, you know, education, transportation, um, you know, public finance, health care, something like that, and specialize in that. And a lot of people, a lot of the people who work for me at Reason do that. They specialize in one area. But then there's some people who like to work on lots of different topics. And that was always me. <laughs> so I actually did a lot of uh, infrastructure work early in my career. And that was a lot of water-related stuff, uh, municipal water systems and water management. Um, uh, and then uh, kind of that kind of grew into sort of, you know, broader uh, regional and national water issues. And, you know, I moved to Florida uh, a decade ago. And it's interesting, we don't have any water shortages, but we have just as many water issues. Uh, you, one of you mentioned blue-green algae in the last segment. I was like, oh boy, that's, you know, it's an issue I've been doing a lot of work on here and stuff. Um, but I tend to focus on something for a few years, which lets me develop a lot of knowledge on it uh, and do a lot of work on it. And 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 then, you know, often I move on to another thing. Uh, so, so by focusing over the span of a few years, it lets me get deeper than someone who's just constantly moving from topic to topic. But I don't stay stuck on any one thing. And sometimes I'll walk away from them. I work, did a lot of work on air pollution issues when I lived in California. And then uh, then I sort of had moved on from that. And, uh, you know, recently I've sort of been working with some people who are, who are dealing with some new approaches to tackling air pollution problems and stuff. So you never know when you might come back to something that you worked on years ago. Right. Yeah, exactly. Rob is going to be mad at me because I'm, but I'm going to ask you one more question. No, no. Um, <laughs> because I know Rob wants to get in there, but listen, I mean, I know you got a lot of background in this, but you know, do you, is there any insights you can share with our listeners as, as it relates to um, water, water infrastructure uh, uh, in the U S as it relates to what we've recently seen over the last three years with the pandemic and, supply chain issues and sourcing and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, any general sort of uh, insights or an overview you can share with our listeners? Yeah, like, like you, know, talk, you know, one of the things that we were talking earlier about is it's going to, the water shortage is going to really hurt one of the biggest things is agriculture. And you've got home yeah. building and things. Tell us a little how that's going to affect all of, all of here first, and then, then obviously it'll trickle over to the rest of the country. But what 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 could what what are the really serious dangers with the economy if water gets really affected? Our use of water. Yeah, I I, I think uh, I think a multiple, not least because you know it was interesting listening to you know some of 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 the prayer segment. I think one of the things that I noticed early on in my career looking at at water resource management issues, first in California and then in, in the West, uh, gosh, you know, like anybody who works on water, you wind up getting sucked into the whole California or the Colorado River uh, compact and, and, and the history of, right. of water use law and all of that. Stuff. I mean, you know, it's an amazing area. But um, one of the things that you learn as an economist is that it the more you centralize decision-making, the harder it is to base that decision on, on myriads of, of, of details. Now, sometimes you have to centralize decision-making. I mean, that's why we have state government, uh, you know, and, and not just a bunch of individuals running around doing whatever they want. But 
But not all decisions can be made best at, like, in Sacramento. And just like not all decisions can be made best by every individual necessarily. So finding that right balance is the trick. And I think in water, we've, we've, we've got it wrong for a long time, and, and we've been going somewhat in the wrong direction where uh, uh, we're trying to, to sort of centrally plan things rather than create incentives that help people to make better decisions in a highly disaggregated way. And the biggest thing is pricing. It would be far, far better if we actually put a pricing system in for water resources in the state that reflected its actual scarcity, the way all market products are priced. And then if that is unduly affecting certain certain categories of people, the poor, for example, with you know their household water use, um, maybe some agricultural sectors, you know, maybe not. I mean, there's a whole argument to be had there, but uh, but you can deal with those directly. The same way, you know, we don't uh, we don't deal with the fact that poor people have trouble buying food by having the state of California purchase food for them and deliver it to their house, right? We do food stamps. Um, we try to decentralize that process as much as possible. And we don't do that in water, and that means I think we're making lots of decisions at too high a level where their information is uh, is too complex and it's too hard to make the right decision. And I think that's, you know, going back to what you started your question about the breadth of the economic impact that we're going to see, uh, the more you get those decisions wrong, the broader those economic impacts are and the, the costlier it is to the economy. That's right. Hey, um, so let me ask you another question here, because just looking at Rob said you wrote three books, but uh, but from my <laughs> research, man, there's there's a bunch of them in there. I mean, everything from uh, everything from, <laughs> you know, it's great. I mean, just looking at uh, commercial space travel and all the all the other stuff. I mean, you've got you've got a ton of stuff in here. But if you were to um, describe uh, the the main sort of um, you know the emphasis and the thrust behind uh, the books that uh, that Rob mentioned. What do they really take a look at? More social issues and the social impact on our society um, versus uh, what industry or government can do about it. I mean, where, you know, where do you focus? Yeah, I think um, some like like one of the things I found fascinating when I started working in transportation, for example, is. We all know, like, mobility is important, right? Like, yeah. our ability to go places is really important to our quality of life. But a lot of times we don't think about, like, how uh, uh, deeply that goes. And so I, uh, one of my colleagues and I were doing some work on, on what, how do you think more holistically about the effects of congestion? Like, okay, all, you know, all you listeners who are in any of the big cities, you know, you have terrible congestion, right? And what that means yeah. is if, generally speaking, if you're, you know, let's use LA as an example. If you're, I mean, we can do the same thing with San Francisco or, or, or San Diego or, or whatever. If your job's on, you know, the West side, you're probably going to live on the West side. You know, uh, you kind of have to live pretty much in the part of town where you work or else your commute is, you know, over an hour. Uh, to keep, you know, sort of like something like a half hour, 45 minute commute, something that 
you know, most people could live with is a real challenge in a highly congested city. But that applies to your 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 social life too. Like what what restaurants you go to, what recreation you do, what what entertainment and art you consume. You know, who's sure, going to drive sure. across the city to go to the museum or the play or the theater? Um, who you date? Who's going to date somebody that they can't easily get together with after work? Which means, you know, if you think about it, like if you're willing to drive a half hour after work to go to a date, if you drew a circle around your workplace that was a 30 minute from where you work, it would be a really small part of the city. And you're like, well, all the, all the people of the opposite sex or, or people I'm interested in dating who live in the, in the rest of the city, they're out. I can't, I'm not dating them, you know, which really reduces your opportunity. So how many of us are missing out on, you know, the, the real one, the one that we were destined to because of thinking congestion, you know? So I thought that was really interesting to think about the way it affects, you know, our personal lives and not just. Yeah, I mean. Exactly. It's weird to think that proximity can have such an effect effect on on the yeah. future, on your life future. Oh, that's that's a truism. Right. You know, a couple of years back in the last drought, uh, they did a study on rebates that they gave people to go to smart irrigation and, and more uh, water wise uh, uh, irrigation products, and they gave away millions of dollars for that. But somebody also did on that study, what happens if they gave that same amount of money and applied it to the ag side, the agriculture side, where they use an abundance of water more than all the homes put together. Um, and yet they, yet they didn't do that. And, and so, you know, is that, would you consider that a, a centralized decision? And, 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 you know, they always, you know, the, well, the governments I know and all the water agencies here and, and, and the water boards, they do have to go out for public, comments and things of that sort uh and they do the legal things where they publicize hey we're gonna we're gonna talk about this we're gonna let you have 30 to 60 days to send comments in and things but i don't know how many what's the percentage of of, of the public that really looks into those things i don't know i think it's a very small percentage yeah. of that and so Probably. they're only getting you know so they're, they're getting a very finite response and you know is that going to be the right answer i don't know I mean, if you if you could if they could have put all that money towards the agriculture side where they use you know tons of water uh, and, and and put put rebates for them so they can buy smart irrigation equipment and things of that and help use their water more efficiently that would have been a better a better price than spending it all on people who the homes there's a lot of, you know what happens people people jump into those things to get the rebate for your homes and they set it up and I would say a good portion of that I would say even fifty percent. After they set it up, they change it down the road so it's not the same as what it was. And it used to save 25 to 30%. You know, now they down to 10% because they're not, you know, they're not managing it or watching it. You know, those, those are all the things that I see that happen. So we always throw money away. And then, you know, it works right off the bat for a short period of time. But down the road, it goes away. And I see it's wasted money. Where I yeah. think in the, farm, the farmers, I think, would use it because it's a benefit to cost of their operation for the water they use and plus they're saving water i mean that's that's just my opinion but you know from your point of view how do you how do you see things like that yeah no i think you're right on and, and it's interesting because you know your previous guest super knowledgeable right i mean she really knows a lot of yeah. Very i had to go to the website and sign up you know but uh but I really didn't like her answer to your last question about, you know, how did it, who's, who does this prioritization? 
And that's yeah. what made me think about my my comment about you know making decisions at too high a level of centralization. Because yeah. I thought her answer was dead wrong. Um, if, if, if you have to try to do something for everybody, what you're going to do is you're only going to partly solve everybody's problems. You're not going to wholly solve any of them. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're taking little bites out of everybody's problems because we feel like for fairness, we have to, you know, if there's some, you know, I don't know, there's some remote town in Modoc County that has 11 people in it and their one well has gone bad. And of course, they can't afford to drill a new well. So, it, you know, this, is the state going to go drill a new well for those 11 people because they don't want to move out of out of that little you know community they're in? Uh, I mean, maybe. OK, but what if the same uh, hundred thousand dollars to do that could a water pump that delivers water to 10,000 people in Reddick, for example, or, you know, or what it's like, no, you have to be able to prioritize these things and you've got to spend scarce resources where you get the most bang for the buck. If we ran our personal lives the way she suggested, where we said, well, look, uh, you know, your wife, they cut back your wife's hours at work. So now your family budget's gone down. Who in their right mind says, okay, we're going to pay 90% of our rent, or we'll pay 90% of our electric bill, we'll pay 90%, you know, we've only got 90% of the money, so we're just going to cut everything. We'll go, we'll, we'll cut back our movies by 10%, and no, obviously nobody does that. They're like, well, okay, we have to cut out something. Yeah, the same goes with our public resources. You've yeah. got to prioritize it. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind to jump in, but we're at, we're at the end of our time when we got to go turn it over to NBC News. Otherwise, they'll take us off the air forever. But Adrian, we want to call <laughs> you, we want to call you back and have you back to talk some more because it's a great conversation. And, and and I don't mean to cut you off, but we got we got to say goodbye because uh, they're taking us off to go to the 